Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Food bloggers, don't forget to check out the food blogging forum style community that we started over at forum.eatblogtalk.com. Finally, there's one place that we can all convene and talk and that isn't scattered all over Facebook. Here are the things that I am loving about it. It is free. It also allows for categorized discussions on all food blogging topics And there's a category for sharing successes, aka self-promotion. So no more holding back about discussing your big wins and things that you're promoting. Also, everything is in one single spot. So no hopping around from group to group. And there's an amazing opportunity to network and really get to know your fellow food bloggers in a single place. So come join the discussions that are going on over at forum.eatblogtalk.com. And I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. Don't forget forum.eatblogtalk.com. Okay, food bloggers, have you heard of Flowdesk, the new big email marketing rage? This is an amazing new option for managing your email subscriber list. It is super easy to use and it comes with gorgeous, intuitive drag and drop templates. And Flowdesk does not charge based on number of subscribers. So your monthly rate will stay the same from month to month. Everyone pays $38 a month or use my affiliate link to get 50% off and pay only $19 a month. You guys, this is a fraction of the price of other email service providers, and you'll be blown away by the beautiful and intuitive templates waiting for you inside. Visit eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources to grab your link. Flowdesk, the stunning new option for email marketing. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast made for food bloggers who are seeking value for their businesses and their lives. Today, I will be having a discussion with Billy Parisi from BillyParisi.com, and we will talk about food and recipe trends, and we will also touch on photography and videography and how to shoot and schedule while keeping trends in mind. Billy is a culinary school grad, and he spent 15 years in the restaurant industry as a line cook, sous chef, and executive chef. In addition, he has a degree in video production from the University of Missouri, so he married his two passions and now writes recipes, takes pictures of those recipes, shoots some video occasionally, does hosting on TV, checks out the latest fashion, and hangs out with his wife and daughter and watches a whole bunch of college sports. Billy hopes that you enjoy his twists on classics as well as his new innovations. We are all excited to hear about your insight into food trends, Billy. But first, give us a quick fun fact about yourself. Yeah, um, you know, I, I it's kind of in that bio, which is funny. And a lot of people don't take me for a sports person because they see the fashion piece. And, and it's always joking around with uh, when I see my friends here in Chicago, all the wives are like, 
help my husband get dressed. I know, like I said, it's in my bio, but a lot of people don't really understand how much I'm into fashion and sports, which is like two completely separate worlds. And I would say the funnest fact with that uh, leading with sports would be right out of college, I almost worked for ESPN. So everything that I do now could have been completely thrown out the window because I was really obviously uh, getting that degree in video production and have a huge passion for college sports and almost took that trip up to Connecticut. uh, And who knows what could have came after that. Wow, that's so cool. Like a sliding doors moment. You went the food route instead of the <laughs> the sport route. Yeah, they um, they hired interns, 80 of them every year, and they pay them $28,000 a year. And I really wasn't wanting to do that in Connecticut. <laughs> so I think it just worked out for the best. We are all excited to hear about your insight into food trends, Billy. I would just like to start off by sharing a little bit about your journey with food because I think it sounds so unique and colorful. So to start, would you just share with us a little bit about what you've kind of been through in the food world? Yeah, absolutely. I always say food goes before I was even born in my life. My grandparents were from Sicily. My dad met my mom in a restaurant. He was a cook. She was the waitress. Uh, When I was 13 years old, Uh, We were living in St. Louis at the time. We had a good friend, neighbor who owned a restaurant, and he asked if I wanted to come work there. So, of course, I was going to make some money. 13 sounds legal. Probably not. And I started dishwashing at that restaurant. I I literally had that moment, that Anthony Bourdain moment in Kitchen Confidential where it's like, these guys are my heroes. I mean, this is is 93, so even before Kitchen Confidential. But I had that same sort of feeling. And I used to go to art camps leading up to that. My mom has a degree in architectural design and interior decorating. So I've always had that sort of art side to me. And I would watch these chefs and cooks like plate up the food. And I'm like, that's totally art. Like that is a form of art. This is beautiful. And I sort of worked my way up from dishwashing to working the salad and dessert station and even doing a little bit of the saute and grill station at age 15. And I went to culinary school right after right after high school at 18 years old at Scottsdale Culinary Institute out in Arizona. Right after that, I sort of dug into my um, dug into my passion in the restaurant industry all in St. Louis. Um, and I worked at some really awesome French restaurants, a really great um, trendy restaurant downtown called Cardwell's. And I was fortunate enough to be a sous chef there. And, and I took my executive chef position at age 21, which I know seems really young. Um, but I just had a really great manager at that last spot, a great chef at that last spot. It really taught me how to, you know, work with people, work alongside people and kind of push that, push my cooking passion a little further. But unfortunately, I got really burnt out in the restaurant industry, physically, mentally, socially, all those things that come with it. Uh, there was a period where I worked three or four months every single day you know, 14, 15 hour days, you're just eat up. And that's one thing that I've always had an issue with when I, when I see a lot of people glorifying the restaurant industry on these fun TV game shows, I'm like, you guys have no idea. This is such a brutal industry. And they tell you the first day of culinary school, they, I remember one of the chefs said, look around 70% of you won't be in this business within four years of graduation. So I unfortunately fell into that statistic, I made it to four years. And then I went back to, to university of Missouri and, and I worked, it's funny when I started there, I was still got a job on the side to make some money while I was in school. And that was the best chef I ever worked for. I'm like, where were you when I actually liked doing this? But I still learned a ton from him. Um, still a close friend. His name's uh, chef Daniel Pliska. He's a chef at a culinary school now writes for a lot of magazines, a really great pastry chef. I just kind of 
started working on those video production skills and, and graduated, moved to Chicago without a job. And I was praying that I'd never touch food again. And then with a month with graduating, here I am taking video and pictures of food. I'm like, man, what in the world? Kind of found this little niche though, you know, and that's kind of just kind of kept going and started a blog kind of. Um, back then I was doing a lot of live television. Uh, here's another fun fact. I was an alternate on Food Network Star 6. I missed it by one spot. So back then I was really, my my website blog was more about me and trying to get TV gigs and get into TV and less about recipes and food. And and this is like 2010. I tweeted out to Tyler Florence from Food Network. And I was like, man, would you take a look at my site and just tell me what you think? And he responded. What? He responded. No way. He responded, he's like, man, I see a whole bunch of pictures of you and not a lot about food. And I was like... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got a good point. So I, um, I, I started to tinker with maybe putting recipes on nothing consistently. And, and then really, I would say I've, I've really been hitting it really decently hard in the last three years. And as I've learned more about blogging and SEO and social media and those types of things, I've sort of um, incorporated them more in the last 18 months to a year. Well, when is your book coming out? Because this is like a story. I just I have loved listening to you talk about your journey because it truly is a story. And I love how it has unfolded for you in such a perfect way. You started out as a chef and that gave you skills that I'm sure you use still today. And one thing kind of led to another, which led to another. And when it's all added up, you're an expert in so many different areas of the foodie world. So what an amazing story. And are you writing a book about your life? Because it's really interesting. No, no book yet. It's just I don't have the time right now. I, I do think it is something that I'd like to explore down the road. It's just it's such a time suck. You know, it really it really requires um, I, I would, I'd be afraid that I'd let the blog kind of fall away, which would make me really nervous. Something that I've, that I've built, but yeah, I definitely, I know my path is definitely interest, uh, different and interesting, especially aside from most food bloggers who I can cook. This is fun. Let's take some pictures, you know? And, but yeah, definitely, like you said, definitely use all of those skills. And it was interesting when I first started my blog, I was overly chefy, very fine dining type food. And I'm like, man, no one's looking for this type of stuff. They're going to restaurants to eat it. I need to figure out how to make the simple chocolate chip cookie for some of these folks. So <laughs> yeah. in the last few years, I've definitely scaled it back and, and made much more um, friendly recipes, obviously still with a chef twist and still with some elegance towards it. Uh, and my followers are definitely folks that enjoy cooking, love cooking and are looking for new ideas. I love the overly chefy. Yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> I have a cousin who is a chef and I always feel like I mean he's never said this but I always feel like chefs must think that we are so I don't know kind of like lower than them because we just kind of dive in like hey yeah I can cook my mom showed me how to make this recipe and that's how a lot of us really started we didn't have any formal training so I always feel like chefs or over, overly chefy people kind of look down on us like oh you don't really know what you're doing but I, I'm sure that's probably just me. I don't know. You know, I don't I don't necessarily have a lot of thoughts around that because there's so many people that can cook. Like my parents never went to culinary school and they know how to cook. That that chef that I told you about, the best chef I ever worked for, he never went to culinary school. He, I, he, I mean, he had the fortunate experience of getting dropped off in Europe at the age of 18 and cooked his way for 20 years. So, I mean, he... He had that kind of on-hand training, which is surely missing in today's 
um, restaurant world, which I wish uh, some people would go back to that sort of on the job train. But yeah, I, no, I don't really, you know, I don't really think about stuff like that. But I also don't feel like I necessarily compete with most food bloggers. I'm making veal osobuco with a classic gremolata. You know, I don't see a lot of food bloggers necessarily doing stuff like that. You know, they're they're doing much more of the. I see a lot of instant pot, which we'll kind of talk about in trends a little bit. Obviously, more of those family friendly meals. While I do that, I'm I'm really my foundational cooking experience is always going to be in classic French and Italian cuisine. Um, that's kind of what you're taught in culinary school and, and especially techniques. Those all kind of stem from France. Escoffier, who is considered the, the the father of modern day cookery. I mean, all those things uh, I would say I back into. And I, I like I said, I enjoy watching other food bloggers and there's a lot of neat niches like barbecue, um, like the folks from Vindalge or Hey Girl. Hey, like I like I like watching that because I don't get to make it all the time. And I'm like, man, if I had a barbecue blog, this would be amazing. <laughs> so it's really fun to see what people do. And I don't I don't have any ill will towards any other bloggers. You know, I'm sure they I hope when I hope they all taste good because it all looks good on Facebook. Yeah. And that's the great thing about food is that there are so many different avenues. There's so many different things you can do with food. And we can talk a little bit about that. So I guess that kind of moves us into food trends. Since you are so immersed in this world of food in so many different ways. I can't really think of anyone better to ask advice on this topic. So as you know, Billy, food bloggers need to be one step ahead in order to stay relevant and current. Any insight into the trends that are coming up is hugely helpful for us. So first to start, talk to us generally about food trends. Why are food trends a constantly moving target? Why are they important? Give us your thoughts. Yeah, from the chef side of me, food trends are incredibly important, especially in the restaurant industry. And this will apply to food blogs as well. You want to stay ahead and you want people to keep coming back while you still have your staples on your menu uh, that people enjoy and want to come back for. You have to continue to push the envelope and you have to continue to um, research and get data on what people are eating. And believe it or not, that can a lot of times come in the form of, of websites like Yelp. Like, what are the popular trendy restaurants on there? Why do they all have five stars? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no one's doing this. Why is no one doing this? And then all of a sudden it turns into a trend. It is definitely interesting, you know, as things kind of, to me, they kind of start a little bit in the, in the restaurant world and then they kind of creep over to everything else. Like when you see them kind of happening there, I mean, for instance, one of the trends that I want to talk about, and this this is for sure started, is is like veganism and plant-based diets. When you see these in the, in you know, kind of, I guess I would say people are wanting more options and the restaurant industry is filled with it. Now you, you didn't have 20 years ago. We had one vegetarian dish and it was loaded with butter and cheese and everything else. And I would say like, I'm not sure I could be in the restaurant industry anymore. I mean, I need soy free, dairy free. I mean, and, it, and I, I wouldn't say just necessarily veganism, but really the, the all in plant-based diet, natural, organic, that is in, in the last three or four, four and five years has become huge. And I would say veganism, especially in the last year. And I think it's just going to continue to grow. I read this article the other day on in restaurant news, uh, restaurant.com. And it had that there were eight new vegan restaurant chains that were getting ready to like explode from like 10 to like a hundred across the U S. And I mean, that is, that was just 
unseen. And you're starting to see a lot more vegan blogs now, too. I mean, think of the last year. I mean, it is such a huge movement and the plant-based diet. And you see the health benefits. And I'll, and I tell this, I can't, I can't be a vegan. I wish I could. It's, it's a lifestyle change. And I have a really dear friend who's 43 years old. He's been a vegan for three years. He got his blood drawn two months ago. And the doctor said he had the blood of a healthy 16-year-old boy. So I do understand the health benefits. And here's two things. Here's two parts to this trend, just with veganism alone. The first part is making things, making something that's not vegan make plant-based so that it tastes like that. So obviously you see Impossible Burger, Beyond Burger, but we're even moving past that. I mean, it's going into sausages now that I've seen in the market that have hit in the last few months. And now you're you're trying to replicate foods that uh, that were at one time impossible to replicate. You know, it was just, eh, you just got to go figure out something else. Uh, and there's some really neat YouTubers out there who have done a really good job. Sauce Stash does a really neat job of of taking food. How do I replicate this? Like, how do I make gravlocks from vegetables? It's like, wait, what? Gravel? Like, I'm so confused. Like, how? What do you mean? How are you doing this? And then the other piece of the trend that I that I would say uh, is starting to come along. And I, and I and to me, I like this so much better than trying to imitate something because it's impossible to replicate exactly what beef would taste like. It's impossible to replicate fish. However, this trend that I do like that I've seen uh, on quite a few blogs and in restaurants is they're just taking really good plant-based food and making their own stuff from it. They're not looking to, hey, this is a scallop made from a king mushroom. It's like, wait, what? No, 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 no. It's still a mushroom. Like, what are you talking about? Instead, you know, they're taking mushrooms and creating their own dish out of it. And that's just simply what it is. I appreciate that. I think more because it spurs on creativity. And I think as it as it relates to the um, SEO and blog world, I like it more because that's one thing SEO does kill a little bit is creativity in the food world. Because, you know, everyone's trying to make the same thing because they're trying to win in search and people aren't looking for those, you know, roasted wild mushroom pate or wild mushroom, you know, bruschetta with truffle butter and all these interesting things. Like no one's, I guess that wouldn't be vegan either, but plant-based butter, plant-based truffle butter. Uh, But, you know, people aren't looking for these things. They're just looking for bruschetta or they're looking for mushrooms, you know, so... I do love that, and I have seen that quite a bit, especially in the last few months. And I and I do think that will continue on as people are like, you know what, this is just not tasting the way that I want it to. I'm going to make my own stuff. Yeah, I liked what you said first. I wanted to point out the restaurant thing because trends really do start in restaurants, and that's so interesting. That's not something I'd ever thought of. I always think to look online, like where can I go online to look for a resource about trends? But how smart to think in terms of just like, what are the restaurants serving? What are people wanting there? And then carrying that over into the blogging world. I liked that. I wanted to point it out. And then also veganism and plant-based diets, I have noticed too, they're exploding. The bloggers who are focusing on these foods are just exploding right now. Do you think that that trend is going to just keep exploding? Or what are your thoughts? You know, personally, I do because you're noticing the health benefits that come from it. A lot of tra- like I remember 10 years ago, it was like bacon, put bacon on everything, put bacon here and bacon there. Like what? what's necessarily the health benefit of bacon other than it tastes delicious? And I love bacon, by the way. But when you start seeing like, you know, the tangible, I guess, effects that it can have on your body. I mean, I think the number one killer in the U.S. is obesity. You know, there obviously are some issues with our diet. And when you look at people that have gone 
from, you know, just a whatever standard American diet to going over to a plant based. They feel better. They um, they have more energy, less inflammation. The benefits to me are far outweigh, um, you know, the cons of it. It is a lifestyle change. But man, I mean, my buddy looks I mean, he's 43. It's like, dude, you look like you're 30 years old. like you look great. And he feels he's a personal trainer. I mean, it's it is literally I've seen it live. So and I'm really close with them. So I see I see that it see the effects that it has. And I don't really see it slowing down. Why? You know, if, if when I read that article on restaurant.com that there's eight new vegan restaurants that it went, are going from 10 to 100, like in the next few years, to me, that just tells me, <laughs> I mean, maybe they'll oversatch the, the market kind of like the burger craze did maybe 15, 20 years ago. But I mean, for now, I don't see it necessarily slowing down. That's got to be a sign. I really wish I could be a vegan. I've I don't know. I'm one of those people that just needs protein. I feel like I so low in energy and maybe it would just be a matter of like time, you know, like doing it over an extended period of time. But oh, I just love meat, too. I'm I'm a meat girl. I really wish I could do it. Yeah, I, I same thing. for me. It's I don't necessarily crave like a big like steak anymore. It would just be I can't have a burger anymore. Like I with cheese, like cheese would be really hard. Yeah. No offense. Or like even chicken in a salad or just like salmon, fish, whatever, you know, that would go away. And no offense to any vegans out here. Nothing tastes good with cereal unless it's granola outside of milk. (laughs) Soy milk and Lucky Charms, they just don't go well together. Oh, I am so with you. I I wish, I really do wish that I could be that girl, but not not in 2019 or 2020 for me. Yeah, and here's here's another funny thing. Most chefs, here's an insider tip to the chef world, they eat like garbage. All they do is eat fast food. This is, no one I've ever met who works in the restaurant (laughs) industry does not eat garbage because every night on the way home from the restaurants, was hitting del taco on the way home you know oh that is it, that's hilarious oh my goodness it's so true you i mean you cook it all day and you touch it all day you're just like oh gosh just give me mcdonald's or something you know it's, it's yeah really i mean funny. that makes sense you just you oversaturate yourself and you're like done yeah. <laughs> bring on the garbage that's funny okay so we've kind of touched on veganism yep. plant-based diets yep. and how that is a trend that's probably just going to keep getting bigger and bigger what are some other trends coming up in 2020 that we should look out for? I would say simplicity is what I've noticed a lot. And you kind of go by, you know, search intent and search trends. And there's so many recipes out there. It, it's like the kitchen sink. Take everything out of the cupboard, put it in the crock pot and forget about it. But I think that one, it becomes expensive. Uh, food Food, I can 100% tell you in the last three years, the inflama- inflammation, excuse me, the inflation on food has been incredible. And I'm sure every food blogger sees it and feels it when they go to the grocery store to make a recipe. It's like, man, I used to be able to do this for X three years ago. Now I can't do it for under 100 or 75 or whatever. You know, so I do think there's going to be this push towards simple recipes. Now, that can be in the form of classic dishes. And just to touch on that for a little bit, that's something I've enjoyed even in the past year. And I'm starting to see it even more in Pinterest and Instagram, these old classic dishes. And there's a reason they're classic for nature. They kind of never go out of style. And when I would research some of these, like I'll just say, for instance, a chicken cacciatore, which I had a lot of fun doing this year. I would look online like, what are people doing for chicken cacciatore? I'd see olives and peppers. And I'm like, man, that just can't be right. There's no way in Italy they had all these ingredients on here. Like, there's just no way. And as I did my research, cacciatore means hunters. And 
classically it would be done with rabbit, not with chicken in Italy. Hunter's chicken, you would feature things like mushrooms, onion, and celery. And that's really it. Occasionally some herbs. You have to remember, a lot of these old classic recipes, the world was not rich back then. Okay, Most of these things were peasant foods. What do we have on hand? What's in season? How do I make it taste really, really good? And I love this because I, you know, we live in this social media culture and society where it's like, what's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? And all these amazing restaurants and all these things are shutting down because they can't even keep up. But when you get to it, if everyone looks back towards their childhood, especially at my age, I'm in my upper 30s. I look back to my childhood and I think of those really simple, delicious flavors that grandma used to make, that my mom used to make. They all stem back from these easy, simple peasant foods that are so delicious. And it's kind of what you eat when you visit these countries, too. You think they're making crazy stuff and they're still making the pizza and homemade pasta and, you know, like all the chipino. Like they're making all these very, very simple things based on what was available in, in America. We, we've pushed so hard for I'm bored with this. I need something new. I need stimulation uh, that we've forgotten about these things. But I but I have noticed it online. I've noticed it in restaurants. Even in Chicago, I've seen it a little bit. And I'm like, this is awesome. Keep going. And even if you give your own little twist on these foods, fine. Make it your own. Make it your signature dish. But I love that we're getting back to it because there's a reason they were created in the first place. And I've seen it a lot. And I'm real. I don't, I, I don't know if it'll last. I can't say that it'll last for sure. I'm going to continue to do it because I love it. And it's still is part of my number one focus. How do I get people around the table smiling and enjoying together? Nothing can do that like really good classic. Seems like we've taken classic dishes and like kind of made them more complicated. <laughs> but like you said, we have to add our own little twist. So I can see bloggers doing that for sure. But yeah, it's like America takes all of the classic things and just overcomplicates them. I love what you said about think back. People were doing this because it was cheap and because it was delicious, cheap, what was available, thinking about all of those factors. And now we're like, well, what else can I add what else to this? Can I add? Let's, Why? let's throw this in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then, yeah, yeah it, it is, it is definitely interesting. And then pushing in from that, and I, this is hands down my favorite thing and it relates to food, but it's more around cooking techniques. I'm starting to see people do things correctly. And as a chef, nothing can make me sing or be happier than to see these cooking techniques come to life correctly. How to properly braise, how to properly saute and get that beautiful caramelization on your vegetables or on your meat or whatever it is. I just... I am loving seeing it. And that is definitely something that has come down from the restaurant industry. And I see it in so many online YouTube videos now where people are basting their steak after they flip it with butter. Like I'm just I, I can't even tell you. I, I I am so happy to see this. And people I think are becoming interested in cooking again on my own YouTube channel. My my number one audience for some reason is 18 to 25. And that is just like blowing me away. And I am heavy technique. And I talk about it in every single video, how important these are. And I've got great comments on Instagram and through YouTube. I implemented this and it came out perfectly. I'm going to start using this same sort of, you know, pan roasting technique into my other recipes. And I'm like, yes, once you can learn how to cook, you can do anything. And it's that much better. So interesting that you have such an, a young demographic. So that tells us that people who are younger are really, really interested in knowing the techniques and really like diving into cooking and not just making a recipe, but really knowing what goes into it. 
So what do you recommend for people who might not have any training, they don't have any techniques down, but want to maybe incorporate that into their blogs? Do they search YouTube videos? What are your recommendations? Just go to culinary school. No. So um, <laughs> one thing for sure, and you hit the nail on the head, YouTube. And I'm going to say this as someone who has a 107-year-old house. I don't know how to fix anything, and YouTube has saved my life. So it's the same thing with cooking. There are a ton of great chefs. And if you want the most classic thing, there are tons of French and Italian chefs that will show you exactly how to do these things. So if you just wanted to know, like, for instance, I just did how to make an omelet uh, a couple weeks ago. Seems simple. Seems dumb. But there is a perfect technique. There's the right temperature of the pan. Uh, what tools do I need? Do I need a non-six skillet? Once you, like I said, once you start understanding these are the things that I need and need to understand to help make successful, delicious food, it starts, it starts cutting into everything that you're making. And yeah, YouTube for me is, is a great thing. Even, and I'll also, I'll say, are the magazine websites are still really good. Bon Appetit, Food and Wine, Fine Cooking. All of those have great explanations uh, on how to properly cook. And you really could start small. I mean, you could start so simple, like with a sauce or how to, like you were saying, how to saute mushrooms or whatever, and then kind of build from there. I think that it's it can be overwhelming in our minds to think that we need to be amazing and know everything right away, but that's not necessarily the case. We can start really, really tiny and build from there. Incredibly true. And yes, how do I properly pan sear something? Well, then from there, it's wide open. Now I got steak. Now I got fish. Now I have vegetables. Now I have, I mean, it's, it's endless, right? So starting somewhere small, uh, YouTube is a fantastic resource. And again, hit those magazine websites. They do a really, really good job. And, and I'm sure, and I'm positive because I do it myself. There are tons of bloggers out there. If you just search on Google, you know, how to properly saute or how to properly braise or knife cuts, whatever those things are, you're going to get a wealth of information. Yes. So you mentioned simple recipes and this ties into uh, some appliances that I think we're all using and diving into like the Instant Pot and slow cookers. What are trends coming up for those? Oh, also the air fryer. I know that's kind of an up and coming one. What are your thoughts on those appliances? My thoughts? Um, most people may not like this coming, but um, I'm actually not a, I do do some Instant Pot recipes because um, people that I work with have requested it and they do really well. Personally, I am not an Instant Pot fan, and my and my biggest issue with an Instant Pot is it's really neat that it can you know roast a five-pound steak in an hour and it completely breaks down. My issue with it is it doesn't really taste like that much. You know, there's not enough time for those flavors to infuse, and that's mostly as uh, applicable to you know big heavy roasts. I've made plenty of desserts uh, in a slow cooker. I've made really quick soups in a slow cooker, and it tastes fine. But a lot of those big things that need time you know, that need time to break down and for flavors to kind of incorporate in everything else. I it, It's missing that. However, the trend, I don't, there's no way it's stopping. I just, it goes right along with simple recipes. People want things quick. People want few ingredients and they want it to be delicious. And the Instant Pot absolutely delivers upon that. And you have to kind of know how to work an Instant Pot because it can be a little bit tricky and a little bit overwhelming if you've never done it. A mindfulmom.com, Kristen should say, is really a ton of resources on her website. If this is your first time doing an Instant Pot, follow these foolproof steps. She's helped me a ton. Like, who knew? You know, I this big fancy chef. I need to go ask, you know, a mom blogger in North Carolina. Hey, do you know how to work this Instant Pot? I mean, 
that's why we all of us are so different. We all have our own niches and we can pull from each other. And I think it's really important to to kind of do those things. But I do not see the Instant Pot slowing. I think it's just going to get more creative with recipes as it's kind of gotten over the years. I think in the first few years, like I said, you would just dump a, a big old beef roast in there and see what happens, you know. And then now I see soup. I see dessert. Uh, I see one pot pasta. Like I'm just seeing all these neat things like you could do that in an Instant Pot. And if it's that easy and it's one pot, you know, there's no you're not dirting dishes. I mean, it is neat. It is definitely cool. I am a huge fan of the Instant Pot. I'm sorry, Billy. <laughs> I'm going to confess that. But I, for those reasons that you just mentioned, it's fewer dishes. It is just easy. And, and for certain things, I agree that like for large chunks of meat or, you know, there are certain things that should probably go be cooked other in other places. But for certain things, it's just delicious. Like I made this chocolate pudding last summer and I did not know how it would turn out, but it was the best chocolate pudding I have ever had in my life. So I've made it, you know, a handful of times since. But it's really surprising because like really this little pot can make a cake and it can make a cheesecake and soup. And so I'm kind of in awe of it. Like the creativity options are endless. So I keep going like, what else can I do? What else can I do? Pushing the envelope a little bit. You just said my exact feeling every time I cook something in Instant Pot. Is this going to turn out? Yeah. <laughs> every single thing I've ever made. And I open up the lid. I'm like, it smells good. And it tastes a lit. Like how? Why? What just happened? I know. I do the same. I'm like, no, this one won't work. And then I open it. I'm like, wow. Yeah, it works. And it's good. I actually recorded a few videos, like the like in-person videos when I'm actually talking the camera through the recipe. And I captured a few genuine, just like surprise moments because I would open my pot and peek in and I did a oatmeal. I think it was the, I think it was pumpkin pie oatmeal. I really had no idea. I mean, I had done oatmeal before, so I knew the recipe would turn out. I just had no idea how creamy and delicious it would look. So when I opened it, that is a genuine, I was like, whoa, it's perfect. What are your thoughts on the air fryer? I have not yet purchased an air fryer. I'm kind of holding off because I'm just getting to know the Instant Pot and I'm a little bit overwhelmed by that, like just trying to get into it. Air fryers are definitely interesting and I think the benefit from it is really cool. You can still completely brown up food without it being immersed in fat, <laughs> which is really interesting. I do. I, I think they're really cool. I don't I don't necessarily use them. Um, I've, I've used one a couple times. I can't, I can't think I made... That was a couple years ago, actually. And I just made like chicken tenders. And I was just like, how did this thing work? I, it's like an instant pot. Like, how, why? Like, what just happened? You know, I, for for those people, and it kind of goes along, you know, with veganism, which could be really neat, you know, if if you're really on a strict diet of plants and low fat, um, what, what cooler a tool to have in the kitchen than an air fryer? I mean, it cooks things relatively quickly. It browns it up perfectly. And like I said, it's not... It's not drowning in oil. I mean, it's, it's pretty awesome. There's a little bit of magic in there. I just feel like, what goes on in there? I always picture these little men with ah, hammers and like, I don't... They all got torches. I don't know exactly. Yeah, like how, how, do we, how do we get this recipe to turn out without tons of fat? So yeah, it is an element of magic, I believe. Yeah, it has to be. I don't know what else. What else could possibly Yeah, I don't be? know what's going on inside that pot once we close the lid, but something is happening. Okay, so we've talked about the Instant Pot and the air fryer a little bit, and slow cookers have been around forever. Do you see those dying off with the new appliances coming in? 
No. Here's why I say that. Have you ever met anyone that says, I hate my slow cooker? No one's ever said that ever. And I was very anti slow cooker until I had a little short stint in corporate America from 2012. Well, I guess 2010 to 2013 ish. I was just, it's just not something you learn in culinary school. It's called braising. <laughs> you know, you, you sear <laughs> it in a pan, you put liquid in there and throw it in the oven for three hours. So, but my wife, who's not, has really much cooking experience at all. I would prep vegetables the night before for 15, 20 minutes, text her at 10 a.m., put this, 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 and this in the slow cooker, hit hit low, and I'll see you in eight hours. And I come home to this huge, delicious meal. It's like, who, why, this is, why wouldn't you want this? This is absolutely amazing. So I, you know, I don't know that it'll kind of see another peak like it did. I mean, maybe potentially, I think Instant Pots and Air Fryers are kind of, doing that right now in, in place of slow cooker, but slow cooking is just not slowing down. <laughs> no pun yeah. intended. Um, <laughs> it's just something that's still incredibly popular. And like I said, no one hates their slow cooker. I love my slow cooker. I'll, and you can't mess it up. You know, there, I can't think of anything because it cooks for such a long period of time. You can't really overcook anything at all ever. And it's just very easy to use. And it's so convenient, especially for people who work away from home and need to be a away for a handful of hours. And like you said, you come home and there's this delicious meal ready for you. What could be better than that? Nothing. No, it's, per- it's perfect. Yeah. And for people who, you know, don't want to look into cooking techniques and don't want all these, you know, difficult procedures or to take the time to do anything. I mean, just dump it in the slow cooker and we'll see you in a few hours. That's it. It's brainless, brainless. easy, brainless. Yeah, I love totally. it. I love my slow cooker. And I know that the Instant Pot does have a slow cooker button, but I never use that because why? I have this amazing slow cooker, so I'm going to use that. Okay, so moving on past the trends, we've covered a lot, Billy. You've shared a lot about what's coming up and what's not going away anytime soon. And I think food bloggers will find all of that really useful and helpful. So I appreciate your thoughts on that. Now, obviously, this is an ongoing piece of the puzzle for all of us to constantly be aware of. So do you have recommendations for ways that we can scope out trends on our own? What do you think of like Google Trends or Pinterest or anything else? I I like Google Trends because that gives you search intent and what people are looking for. And that really spurs on creativity as well. Like, oh, if they like this and maybe they'll like this. I think that's always interesting. Instagram, Pinterest, You know, back in the day, I would say 10 years ago, magazines were the ones who kind of set the trend because they would work with chefs and they would push those things out uh, by working with chefs or in their own kitchens. They kind of let you know on gadgets. Well, it's kind of a change now because I think a lot of people look to us to what's trending, which is which is really neat, which and in addition to the restaurants, I'm saying normal people looking for recipes. But so people look to us. They don't like the average person isn't going to who doesn't blog isn't going to say like, I wonder what that restaurant's making. I can make that same thing. No, they go to, they go to, they go to Google, they go to Pinterest, they get some sort of, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, like what's the word motivation or, or inspiration and say, Oh, I want to make that. So for me personally, I do a couple things. I look at Pinterest. I look at Instagram. There's so many. And I, like I said, I love doing classic recipes there. I haven't even scratched the surface of what I've made in that, in that way. Like I was in Indiana, uh, Laporte just with my family as a quick little weekend getaway. And there was an old warehouse and there were people there selling these old cookbooks. And they're like, yeah, this is an old book place that we bought years ago and we're finally going to renovate it. So we're trying to get rid of them. I got all these cookbooks from like the 1930s and forties from Italy and France. And I'm just going through them. Like, these are so cool. Like I'm gonna have a field day with all this. So yeah. So it's like, under, like for me, I, I always like to go back to those classic things. Cause like I said, I haven't even 
scratched the surface in those, and no one has because they're endless. I mean, especially a French. If you look at an Italian cookbook, it's like yeah, 200, 250 pages. You pick up a French cookbook, it's like a thousand pages. I mean, there's just so many things that have come from from France and French cooking. Pinterest, Instagram, a really good book if you're off like and just can't think of anything. The Food Bible or Culinary Artistry are great books to own in your repertoire. Two of my favorite books by the same authors, and they have a lot of restaurant trend stuff in there, and they also have a lot of they've really done a brilliant job of taking a main like just one ingredient, say broccoli, and then they figure out everything it goes well with and puts it right under that. And things that are in bold are things that it goes really well with. And then they have flavor affinity. So it would say like broccoli, butter, and almonds. You put that combination together, you have this delicious flavor affinity. I had another guest recommend that, and I am sad to say that I don't own it, but I need to. That just sounds like such a great way to get inspired and be super creative, like blending flavors that maybe aren't traditional or that you wouldn't think of with a certain dish, but maybe like looking at what tastes good with this ingredient and then mixing and matching that Totally. Way. And let me say this before we, if, before we move on. Don't be afraid to start a trend anybody let's let's do something different i mean all for three years i've been looking at hands and pans tasty style let's start something new you know whatever that is yeah. it could be in the food world take take a shot you know you never know what's going to stick too i mean it doesn't really it doesn't become a trend because you know i'm just gonna you know make this one day and we'll see what happens you know like other people start to make it and it's delicious and it just keeps evolving and it keeps going and and i love seeing that take place especially in the food world it's really neat I love that you pointed that out. Don't be afraid to start trends because I think especially newer bloggers get into it and they're like, well, this is what everybody's doing. This is what I have to do. And they mimic it really closely, which is fine because, I mean, it's popular for a reason, whatever the trend is we're talking about. But we shouldn't be afraid to start something new. And the hands and pans, I'm I'm getting kind of tired of it. I think a lot of people are. When are we going to come up with something else? So yeah, just like branch out and be proud of it. Do it boldly. And who knows? It could take off. We've covered so much with trends. Let's move on quick to food photography and videography because this is another area of expertise for you, Billy. How do we go about shooting and scheduling recipes while keeping trends in mind? Yeah, great question. You always want to leave space for merging trends. This is me personally. I know a lot of bloggers kind of bat shoot and kind of just, hey, I'm done for Q4 and it's uh, July, <laughs> you know. I always leave room and I only shoot at a max two weeks out in case something pops up. And I can't tell you how many times I've shot a video and be like, gosh, darn it. Like if I had just done this because this came out then and it was already oh. done. And I always leave room for merging trends because it's a really easy, nimble way, especially for us. As I mean, we don't need to hire out, you know, a 20 man production crew. We call our friend or else we do it ourselves. Like we can just hop in the kitchen and get to it. So I always do leave a little wiggle room in my shooting schedule. Um, and I do two videos a week on Wednesdays and Fridays. And I always leave room in there for um, you just you just don't know. You know, you just never know. That's great advice because I have been in this routine of trying to get scheduled way far out just because it gives me peace of mind. But maybe adding a few days in there just for things that pop up, like you said, just in case, yeah. because you never know, something might emerge and you're like, oh no, my schedule's booked. But just giving, I don't know, like one day every couple of weeks yeah. for new things. To or say you do one in. video a week for the next three months, 12 videos, maybe you only shoot 10 and you leave two spaces or three spaces uh, that 
you know, in the middle of all of it, like, oh, man, I, I'm glad I got a chance to get on this trend and, and keep it rolling. Yeah, absolutely. What other advice do you have? Oh, good question. Um, I'm going to go along with the trend thing and move that into video for me personally, as a, as I would guess I would call myself a creative, nothing kills my creative soul more than top down videos, um, making them and watching them everywhere. Like I know they have their purpose and they, the end user is always what needs to be top of mind, but there has to be a different funner way, you know, just to explore what else can we do with videos? We're all creators. Like what else can we do with that? And, within your schedule, say you shoot 12 top down videos, uh, you know, one a week for a quarter, take a couple and put them aside for emerging trends. Maybe take one or two more and try something different. Like take, you know, I, I got really inspired maybe two years ago when I watched chef's table, when it came out on Netflix and I'm thinking, man, I can shoot the same way these guys do. No problem. And I definitely, you know, humbly so, I think my videos are different from most folks. I do shoot, shoot a little bit different angles in a different style. Not better or worse, just different. And I feel like that's missing with what we do because it is a very follow the leader mentality in blogging. And we just, oh, well, they're doing it like you said. I'm going to do it because I know it works. But what else can you do to invent a different style? Try something. That, like I said, I don't mean to go back to her, but a mindful mom, Kristen's always good at like, well, I tried something new within video. I'm like, well, what did you do? You know, even if it's something I've done before, like, I just want to hear about someone's doing something different. You know, I get the spirit fingers start rolling, you know, like, let's, what do we got? I'm always trying to push the envelope a little bit too. And that's something that I'm going to focus on in 2020 because I've, I like my style, but I'm ready for something different too. There is value in tapping into that creativity, whether it's with video or photography or writing or whatever it is. But there is value in that. Just whatever that means for you, getting creative and figuring out how can this be different. And I think almost like getting taking that template out of your mind and just putting a you spin on it. And thinking, is it different music? Is it a different angle? Are you moving around instead of just looking down on a scene? Just like putting you in there. And I think it's there's so much value in that. Yeah, it is. I mean, if you look five to seven years ago, we all know how to take pictures, but something happened in the translation to taking video. You know, we lost our own brand. We lost our own style. And I talked about that. I spoke at a conference a few years ago and I said, well, you know, if you shoot more dark and thematic, your video should be more dark and thematic. You know, if you shoot really bright white, then your video should be really bright. Don't lose your sense of style as it translates to video. The only difference are things are moving. It's the same scene. How can you emulate your photography and put it into your into your video? That's really good. That's something to think about for all of us, I think. So kind of going along with this, since you're so into video and you have such uh, deep knowledge on that subject. Do you have any hard and fast, just generic, general video tips for us? Yeah, totally. The two things that separate amateurs from professionals are lighting and audio. This too will go with your brand. And I have always been a daylight shooter. Does not matter if I'm doing food or people, whatever it is. And I want my video to look like my pictures. And I only shoot daylight. Yeah, there's some imperfections sometimes if the sun just decides to creep up over the clouds and I can't control it. I don't mind it. This is what people would look like if they were sitting in that room watching me. You know, you have to you have to give some intuition too to the viewer. Like, oh yeah, well, obviously the sun came out. 
I mean, if it's if it's <laughs> extremely bright white and hot and you went from dark to oversaturated light. Yeah. OK, that's an issue. But yeah, if it, there's some little nuances in there. Don't don't be afraid of those imperfections. That's that's the beauty. That's the beauty of what we do. You know, everyone's striving and social media is always the highlight reel. Everyone's looking for that perfect whatever. I mean, there is some pieces for some vulnerability, even in your shooting. But I think that adds to the creative style that people shoot into, which I really, really love. Audio, like I said, those two biggest things, lighting and audio. Audio is, it's come a long way, I can tell you this, because there was no wireless audio pack for DSLR five and six years ago. (laughs) There's an abundance of options now, which is awesome. I've had a lot of success with Rode mics, R-O-D-E. I've used them for 15 years, whether it be a shotgun mic, even even to my wireless loves. If you can get those two things right, you really, really have a chance to be successful with video. You have a leg up on a lot of people because audio, I I agree totally, lighting can kill a video and a photo and audio can kill a video because if you sound like crap, (laughs) people are like, what? No. I mean, it's a huge turnoff. So I totally agree. And there's, you mentioned Rode, R-O-D-E. There is an app you can put on your phone and I used this for a while before I purchased anything and it's really good. I used it for just recording like random videos And it sounds very professional, and it's you can get a free version of oh, that. Oh, that's so awesome. just wanted to mention from Rode. Yeah, Rode Rec. I didn't even know that uh, app. I believe. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has all been amazing information. Is there anything we've missed talking about today, Billy? That you feel like we should mention before we say goodbye? You know, one quick thing, and it's a quote, um, and it's I'm not going to be able to do it or give it perfect justice. There's a famous chef named Thomas Keller who owns the French Laundry, and he said something in his book that was written over 20 years ago and it's still stuck with me this day and I hope it gives you a little inspiration, but it's to enjoy every single process of cooking. I know we all get together and we sit around and talk about monetize, monetize, monetize. Don't lose that original passion for cooking. Enjoy peeling that potato. Enjoy cutting that carrot. It's all part of the process because the end result is a smile, right? That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to make people happy with the food that you get. So I just want to leave you with that. I love it. Wise words for all of us to hear. I think that will fall on um, ears that need to hear that. So (laughs) thank you for sharing that. And just thank you for being here today, taking time out of your schedule to have a chat with me. I know that this will be really valuable information for food bloggers. So thank you, Billy. It's my pleasure. Billy has a list of resources relating to to today's topic. These can be found on his show notes page at eatblogtalk.com forward slash Billy Parisi. Billy, tell my listeners the best place to find you online. Yeah, for sure. BillyParisi.com or my handle is at Chef Billy Parisi. And that is across every single social media platform, Pinterest, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Billy. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.